I'm Debbie Travis. And I'm Tommy Smythe. And this is Trust Me, I'm a Decorator. Hi, Debbie. What's up? What's up? Well, um, I've got a really great subject that I get a lot of messages from, and I know you do too. But before we start, Tommy Smythe, I just wanted to say, <laughs> I hope this is okay to say, but um, you wear many hats, right? You're, you know, you're on television, you're a designer, um, friend, or all the labels you can put. But Tommy has another hat he wears. Tommy is a hooker. <laughs> Okay, wait a minute. I think we need to like qualify that statement because sounds amazing to me. I I was recently on Fogo Island in Newfoundland, which is actually my favorite place on earth, and I took a class in rug hooking. And rug hookers, especially on Fogo Island, just call themselves hookers. You know, you're getting deeper into this now. But go on, rug hooking, rug hooking, yeah. So there were many hookers in the room with me, male, female, some as old as in their late 90s, some as young as in their 20s. So if you go to Fogo Island, you will meet all kinds of different hookers. And they're all really, they basically all have one thing in common, which is like they all have this hobby and, and they're engaged in this craft. And I have to tell you, Patrick and I became very competitive with each other. We had a certain amount of time and we had a certain amount to do. And so I made something and I wish that our listeners could see this, but I'll describe it. But I'm going to hold it up for you so you can see it. This is it, Debbie. It's a portrait of you. It looks like a starfish. Well, you're a star, darling. Oh, okay. It's lovely. I could put it above my mantelpiece. So what is that? Is that like crocheting? A little. So rug hooking, you use a special tool and you use yarn and you and you hook in through a piece of burlap and pull the loop up and you do loop after loop after loop. And before you know it, you've covered enough ground that you've got a rug. It's quite amazing. Oh, now you can, you know, have another description of all these words you're using, but people were dressed, right? While you were hooking. <laughs> yes, okay. They were, so everyone was fully clothed. So when Tommy told me he was a hooker, <laughs> I looked into this and then it, I kind of, you know how you go down this kind of rabbit tunnel of all these things. And I started to look into hobbies and the word yeah. hobby and how I think the word hobby has a little bit of a, a connotation of what our parents did. You know, my dad collected stamps or my granddad did. And, and you know, yeah. it, it's a little bit old fashioned. And, and, and then I asked um, a, a niece of mine, when they apply for a job, does, do they, because they used to ask, do you have an, a hobby? And she said, mm -hmm. well, they still do. But, you know, we feel a bit weird that it's a bit like, you know, pathetic to write a hobby down. And, and really, it's more like, do you have interests and stuff? And then I started going even deeper. And they're saying that now loneliness and social isolation, they know is linked to serious health problems. And so yes. as I started to kind of do a bit of research, I found out that, that hobbies are making a huge comeback. It might be called something different, but hobbies where... The idea is that you can find like-minded people and you can try yes. different things. So you might not want to be a hooker. I could try hookering and I could be really, I probably would be very bad at it, but you know, I would, I know I would be a very bad hooker, um, <laughs> but you can try different things and then you'll find something that A, you will love, B, yep. you're going to meet other people and then you're going to make new friends and it's a great solution to loneliness. And in my case, and I think in your case, well, mine, the hobby of painting, I just love 
pottering about with paint. I had two small children and um, I was climbing the walls at home. And um, I started following this British trend of of marbleizing and sponging and and making things look like tortoiseshell. And it was a hobby and it became a mini little empire for me. It became a maxi empire for you. I mean, you were the original lifestyle host on television doing do-it-yourself, you know, projects and painting houses. The Painted House was a legendary show. Yeah. So hobbies and things that start out as occupational therapy or as just a general interest in something or curiosity about something can actually easily balloon into really fruitful career paths. So did you, were you a hooker as a child? <laughs> I hope nobody's just tuning in now. I'm going to get my parents in trouble. No, I I was not. In fact, when I was uh, a kid, I drew all the time. I was never without a pen or a pencil and a pad of paper. And my parents were super encouraging of my leaning toward, you know, drawing and painting and all of those things. So I was very into art as a kid. I was really into crafts. We spent summers at our family's lakeside house in Muskoka, in the Muskoka Lakes when I was a kid. For all of you listening who are picturing some $35 million mansion, Muskoka was a lot different in the early 70s, let me tell you. We had a little log cabin, like something out of Little House on the Prairie, and it was packed full of four people, but on rainy days, when we as children couldn't be outside, my mother always had craft supplies handy, so we would make things out of popsicle sticks and glue. We would sew things together using yarn and felt fabric. We had all kinds of of paints and paper at hand so that nobody could ever claim to be bored. And because that was a part of my growing up, I think it led me into my field, which is interior design, because you're using a lot of the same observational tools, the kinds of creativity that come from crafting and hobbying really are directly applicable to what I do every day now. Yeah, you know, it, it's, it reminds me when I, I wrote a book called Design Your Next Chapter and I talked about, because people say, oh, I don't know what my next chapter is. And one of the ways to find out is to go back into the sandbox, you know, or go yeah. back to your memories as a child. And what ignited you then? What did you actually love doing? Did you love baking with your mom or did you actually loathe it? Well, if you loathed it, then you'll probably loathe it now. But, yeah. you know, you can really ignite some of those creative ideas. And and I think with me starting a next chapter in Italy, you know, I started a few years ago making jam or jelly, you know, and, um, you know, I thought if anybody, if I said to any of my friends, <laughs> no, I can't go clubbing because I'm busy making jam, you know. <laughs> they wouldn't believe you. You know, I would say I'd be so embarrassed, but it was something I suddenly loved. Not only was I lucky enough to go and pick my own figs or my own plums, but then I, you know, I started looking into, of course, today, the advantage of the internet is, you know, we can look this stuff up straight away. But I also found an old jamming book in a yard sale and there were these incredible recipes and then you start looking well why is commercial jam so horrible and sweet and everything well because it's got to sit on a shelf for 15 years mine doesn't last 15 days so I didn't have to put all the sugar in and then some batches and this is the great thing about a hobby I think is that some batches didn't work some batches were just, oh, I remember making marmalade and it ended up like some kind of mulch. Second time, it was fantastic. And I'm sure bakers have the same thing. Some things just don't rise and, and you're working out, yeah. what did I do right? What did I do wrong? How can I change it? How can I perfect it? And that's the wonderful thing about a, a hobby, getting those creative juices, which you mm-hmm. don't get watching television or 
Googling the internet or playing games online. You just don't get it. You get With that, you get an immediate endorphin. But when you see it all the way through... Yeah. You just want to do it again, don't you? And and I think there are so many things. And But the most important is it's a way to find other people. You know, if you're lonely, some people want to be lonely and enjoy solitude, and we all do at times. But if you feel, you know, I haven't spoken to somebody for a few days, and, I, I, and I'm a bit, you know, down in the dumps because it can lead to depression. It can. Start going through, you know, maybe join a choir. I have a friend who became a lollipop lady. Do they call it? <laughs> you know where you wash it, you cross children over the road with the big lollipop. Yes. And she did that before she went to work. Well, getting back to craft, you know, when I had this recent experience on Fogo Island, one of the premises that they really advocate when you travel to this part of the world, to this province, and, and you do... Uh, immerse in the community is this idea of community participation. Because I guess there, you're so remote, aren't you? You have to do something. Yes. And so community activities are a part of your stay as a guest and they're included in your room rate. So everything is included when you go to this place, your food, your activities, all of your excursions. And one of the excursions that's most popular is this rug hooking class. And they have quilting classes and they have knitting classes and things like that too. But the rug hooking is so popular because it's so simple. It's quite a simple thing to do. And it doesn't tax your creativity to the nth degree. You can start as a beginner with three colors of yarn in a very simple pattern. And you can go all the way up to having like wall-sized things that are, you know, like murals and that are so complicated and use different materials like shredded t-shirts and things. But, you know, you start basic and you sit around a table with several other people and they come from all over the world and many of them come from the actual community that you're sitting in. And people ask questions, they tell jokes, they tell stories about their lives, they talk about current events. It is an incredible gathering. And what I think is so important about it, you highlighted this a little bit earlier, is that for your mental health, there are two components of this. There's the component of community, and then also, very good for mental health, there's the component of starting something and going through it and finishing it and completing a task, which is so rare in our contemporary culture. Everything seems to take forever and nothing ever seems done. And you can pick up a thing, you know, and, and a hook and some yarn And, you know, or if you're a painter, you can start a painting and finish a painting and actually put it down and think, I'm satisfied in knowing that I completed a task. It's so good for your brain. And it can also lead, can't it? It can lead. I have a friend who took up painting very late in life, literally didn't think she was terribly good, Uh, but she got good and she ended up going back to university much, much later. I don't think she'd ever been to uni, but she ended up going to university later in life doing an art class and she was the oldest in the class. And so, you know, one thing always leads to another. You may take that hobby up and say, God, I hate it. But, you know, when I first came to Italy, I went to a language school nearby Mm. and (laughs) obviously didn't do much good, but I went to learn Italian. And what I loved about it, that again, like you said. Did you learn Italian, Debbie? No, I did not. How's your Italian? Nope, terrible. (laughs) Um, Absolutely terrible. But I did make some friends because Mm. the funny thing in the language school was there were people from all over the world. Some people were just there because they were on holiday. Others wanted to move for a few months to Italy. Others were just, you know, doing it for business and work. So they were from everywhere. And of course, I was more interested in the people in the class and every time of course I couldn't speak in Italian so every time I tried to say where are you from where are you from you know why what are you doing here and I like your dress or whatever um 
the teacher would go, no, no, Debbie, Italian only, you know. And so I had to wait till break time because we had a little break time where we go to the coffee shop across the road. And then I just could not stop talking and, and saying, oh, you know, why are you here? And then, of course, after this class finished at lunchtime, we'd all go for lunch together. And I made, I think, about a dozen friends. In English. But I never learned Italian. <laughs> so that hobby went down the drain. Um, so for me, I know languages, you know, learning a language, which is something, again, to go out and meet people is not mm. for me. So I'll stick to my jam making, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I think it's so interesting too to look at things that are hobbies that are like, you know, occupational therapy hobbies, not just in terms of taking classes, but are things that you can do as a practice, almost like a meditation and how they've always been characterized as kind of like arts and crafts or craft but they're blurring the lines, I think, now between craft and fine art. So now you have contemporary quilters, for instance, who are making these magnificent quilts that are very modern in their, in their look and their appeal, but actually are made using ancient techniques of quilting that have been handed down for generations. So there's something incredibly modern and also incredibly honoring of an historic process mm. in quilting, contemporary quilting, that I find really fascinating. And mm. it started for me in one place. Mm. My sister, during COVID, asked me to redo her bedroom and her TV room, because during COVID, those were the two rooms we were all spending our most time in, and she just wanted them overhauled. And she said to me, one of the directives that she gave to me for the design direction for her bedroom was that she wanted an element of craft, but she didn't want something that looked very grandma. And so I actually went to my friend, Brandon Wolf, who is on Instagram, just another autistic guy. He's an autistic adult quilter. Wow. And he was making these quilts, and you'll love this because it's Italian, that he was calling biscotti quilts. Ooh. And the reason they were called biscotti, because you know how biscotti is made, right? You bake it twice. Oh, do you? Yes, that's right. And that's why it's so hard. So what he did was he would make a quilt and then he would chop it all up when it was finished and then reassemble it again. So the quilt in itself was almost like baked twice. And it, that's why he called them biscotti. And Christy, my sister, fell in love with these quilts that he was making. And so we commissioned her headboard to be made out of a biscotti quilt by Brandon Wolf. Wow. And it's her favorite thing in her house. It looks wildly contemporary. It doesn't look at all like your grandma's quilt. And of course, when it's up on the wall and not on the bed as a, as a coverlet, it has a different feel and a different vibe to it, more like mm. a tapestry. That was how I sort of became fascinated with this particular craft that is moving through those blurred lines into fine art. Yeah. Well, I think 20 years ago, it was hokey. We were all looking for the sleek and the nice and the modern. And now, like you say, because I know, you know, Art Basel, which has become huge, one of the, the biggest modern art shows in the world. In, I think it's in Miami. It's definitely in Switzerland. Um, and, and actually, I have a neighbor in Italy, a, Sw <laughs> a Swiss neighbor from Zurich, Actually, this is a horror story, but a long story short, <laughs> my son ended up living in her house for a year. Oh, she was in Geneva and she was out all day at work and he was working from home on a humanitarian project. And she was very kind. And she had apparently this oversized knitted, like, this, like the size of, you know, the height of a, a large room, like knitted it was like a sock. It was enormous. Oh. You know, huge loops kind of thing. And in it were yeah. little flags of messages 
of love to people. And Beautiful. it must have cost her at Art Basel oh my God. thousands and thousands and everything. Well, my son found it on the floor. It had fallen off the wall. So he put it in the washing machine. <laughs> <gasps> no. <laughs> so no. When, she, when she came home, that she first thing she saw was the pile of little notes on the table. And then oh she saw this God. miniature sock. <laughs> and she was like, no. oh, my God. Oh, and it was some, you know, incredibly famous artist had done this piece of, sounds awful to me, but anyway, done this piece of art. So, oh um, yeah, that didn't go down Terry. He didn't mean it. That is doing? a horror story. It's a horror story. But, but yeah, you're right. And, and you, look, you look at things like Etsy and, and that has brought back all these great artisans. And, you know, I mean, things like painting and stenciling and, you know, it doesn't have to be the little vines around a room anymore. You know, you no. can stencil your, your, your name on your headboard or, you know, you can do some really cool modern things and they're easy you know you can I think with a craft you can take it as far as you want to go you can keep perfecting so it does get better and better and you know I follow a guy on Instagram who does gold leaf and I always love gold leafing I if if I could have gone back to school I would have really studied it and but you know it's not real gold leaf that you buy in a craft store you know they're like five inch four or five inch squares they're um you know fake gold but it's a beautiful process because it's basically Mm -hmm. you paint a base color so let's say an indigo and then you put on what's called size which is a glue and you wait for it to get tacky and then you rub on you put on very gently and you know and it's blowing all over the room so it's quite a you know this could be a tabletop it could be a wall i mean don't start with a wall for the first time but you know or it could be a i've just done a little concrete buddha that i bought in a hardware store, you know, just after you left, when you were here, just after you left, I painted it dark blue and then I put the thing on. I thought it's probably going to look really hokey. It looks amazing and it catches the sun. And and then, of course, you blow, it rubs and it sticks to the sides and then you blow it all off and you've, you're left with this um, cr- kind of crackled kind of uh, gold with the, with the colour that's underneath shimmering through on all the little bits that you've missed. And very often with... A project like that is the little yeah. mistakes, the little things that go wrong that actually turn out. And I'm sure most artists who are painting a, a painting will say, well, actually, that was a mistake. And look at it. That's the bit that got me, you know, the hundreds of thousands type of thing. We're going to take a quick break. Hold that thought. We'll be back in a moment. This episode sponsored by BetterHelp. Hey, Tommy Smythe here. Thank God I have a few minutes to myself without my (laughs) co-host. I mean, you've been there. You've been overwhelmed before too. I think most people carry around some kind of stress. And here at the Trust Me Pod, it's, Debbie, did you put your devices on Do Not Disturb? Debbie, do you have your microphone? (laughs) And when we have a guest, I just hope to get in one little question. Listen, sometimes it's hard to keep all your feelings all bottled up because you know what happens when you do. It bubbles over, you lose your cool, and maybe you take it out on someone you love. Obviously, I love Debbie. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever it is that's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient and flexible. Whether you're in Toronto or Tuscany, BetterHelp will fit your schedule. Get it off your chest. Visit betterhelp.com slash decorator to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash decorator. 
A big part of design and decoration for us, and everyone really, is putting your memories on display. When my children went away to camp, it was the first time we'd kind of not been together, and they both wrote me letters, and they were probably eight and nine years old, and they are the funniest letters, and I framed them, put them up on the wall, and I see them every day, and sometimes if I feel a bit down, I just read those letters, mostly asking me for more candy, but I think framing a letter is a wonderful thing. That is why we love the idea of FrameBridge. They honestly make it so easy to get anything framed, and they're really, truly affordable. It's easy to do in person at one of their 20 FrameBridge retail stores, and... It's so easy to order online at FrameBridge.com. You just upload a photo for them to print. Picking the frame was really easy, but also really hard because there were so many options. I went for Walnut, which is a solid Walnut frame, but I think next time I'll go for Florence and they'll mail it to you using their free, secure, prepaid packaging service. FrameBridge has been trusted to frame millions of our memories. Visit FrameBridge.com or a local FrameBridge store. You can custom frame just about anything. Again, that's FrameBridge.com. Do you have any clue how interesting it must be for our listeners to hear that the iconic Debbie Travis of the Painted House fame is still doing craft projects just in your own time? Like, I love hearing that you do it even when you're not getting paid to do it. Yeah, but I haven't, you know, for ages. I mean, everything comes full circle. But again, if I didn't mm. enjoy it, and when I started all these shows, you know, it was really about... I was learning it and I was so enthusiastic. And then suddenly you get this opportunity and you're showing people on television and people are going, oh my God, I could do that because it didn't cost much. And a craft shouldn't. And it's like people who do, um, what do they, you know, when they do an album, what do they call it? And they put all the stickers in and you put all your stuff in. Oh, scrapbooking. Scrapbooking. I mean, enormous, enormous in the United States. There are scrapbooking shops and stuff. But now, you know, with my product line, we buy something. They're called style guides. And I'm sure you've had them. They're terribly expensive. They're something like 15,000. And there are three companies in the world that make these books. And they look like an enormous scrapbook, like enormous, like bigger than a a wedding album. And um, there's one out of Cleveland, one out of China, and one out of the UK. And basically, they're a scrapbook, hand-done, that you buy and car companies buy them, furniture companies buy them, fashion designers, designers, because it's all coming from the same thing. And what they do is they are, those specialists are trend specialists and they're looking to see what, what is going to be in fashion, what are you going to be buying in the standard store in two years time? So it could be a lot of bling, it could be a lot of bright colors. It could be a lot of grays and it's going off the economy. And they find that if the economy is bad, if it, if we know we're going, say, into a recession, there'll be more bling. So you're going to see silver belts in the stores. You're going to see um, silver paint. You're going to see um, silver cars even more because we might not be able to afford a fabulous big house or a yacht because the economy is really bad and, you know, things aren't going to be so good for a while, but you can afford maybe a silver belt. The choices, yeah. Yeah. And whereas the opposite, when the economy is really good and we're all a little bit more prosperous and we're traveling more and doing stuff, you might find it's more um, structured. You know, like if you look at the 80s, you know, the time of Wall Street and, you know, the movie made then and and money was and the stockbrokers and everybody was making money. 
you know, you had the wide shoulders and you had this structured, formal, navy, grey, you know. It wasn't exactly, fashion wasn't really so much a time of joy. A lot of grey and beiges and things like that. But rooms were beiges and greys, you know. And then the 90s, we lost it a little bit and then all these colours came in. So it's quite, I found it fascinating. And the books are beautiful. You know, you might have a page that's got seashells on it or yeah. a page that's got coins on it and they're hand done so we used to we used to buy these and really really study them and share mm. them often with other people in the business or you know fashion business the uk one is the best one but i have a question for you about crafting because you started out with this sort of vocation that involved working with your hands and working with color and creating being very creative is there anything that you haven't tried yet that you would like to learn how to do? Being a hooker, I think. (laughs) I'm never going to let you live that down. I know, I know. Nobody knows how to beat a dead horse like Debbie Travis. Well, I've never done that. I did in London in my 20s go to some knitting classes only because there was a guy there that I fancied. I didn't do very well with knitting either. Um, So, you know, I I tell you what I would really love to do. I'd love to learn to bake. Ah. When you're very impulsive and you don't have a lot of patience... I can make a soup or a stew for 200 people. I, that, that I don't even worry about. But to be more precise, I think I would find very hard. And I would also love to do flower arranging because, you know, I've got all this land here. And now I'm at the stage after kind of seven years in Italy, a lot of the plants are getting too big and getting very woody. You know, like lavender, for instance, grows very well here, but it gets very woody and ugly. So you have to rip it out and you start again. Well, it's very costly. And then I've started seeding. And again, you need patience because you're standing there every morning going, come on, I want to see something. And then suddenly one morning there's this, you know, tiny quarter of an inch of a leaf coming out and it's the best feeling in the world it's the best feeling ever and and then of course you start nurturing that in the little egg cup you know tiny little pots and then you put it into a bigger pot and then into the garden you know and the pleasure I mean I bore people rigid going see that bush that's my baby that came from nothing but now I'm at the next stage. So at the moment, um, we have retreats going on and, and lavender's out. You missed it when you were here. But the lavender, I, did, is, yeah. I mean, the smell is intoxicating. And so the lavender is going into the rooms for the guests. And, you know, Amazing. you can take four people, four vases and four bunches of lavender. You know, it's human nature. Mine, it's like, what? It just looks like a complete mess. Somebody else has got exactly the same products. Looks amazing. Like, why does yours bring so much joy? And mine is like, oh, you know what? Let's just put a plastic flower in there. So I would love the art of, you know, the simplicity of doing that. There are courses that you can take in flower arranging that veer into all kinds of different cultural niches as well. Like Japanese flower arranging Mm. is very different than British flower arranging, which is very different than the kind of flower arranging that you would do in South America. And then you have these incredibly creative people, especially young people who are doing what really amounts to like sculpture Mm. using florals mm. and when you go into really expensive hotels like the Georges Saint in Paris or the Four Seasons in Toronto you see these really special incredibly sculptural things there's a guy that I follow on Instagram a young British guy whose name is Hamish Powell I believe it is um, and Hamish is a very young like probably in his early 20s 
phenom in terms of flower arranging, and he's fascinating to follow. Um, not least because he's quite handsome and very creative in his appearance. So he has all kinds of interesting things that he does with his hair and he has nail polish on in different colors. Oh, we'll put that in the notes because there's another one in South Africa and I know you follow him called Steve Corday. Oh, Steve Cordoni. I know he makes huge things with like, it's like he's taken down a sapling tree and put it in a vase. Yeah. And and they're gorgeous because they were in Italy recently and I was following their tour of Italy and then they went back. and, And of course, what's interesting there is South Africa, you know, it's winter there now. So you're seeing stuff that, you know, you can say, oh, I can keep that for Christmas or something. But he's amazing. We'll put that in the notes too. He is. Yeah. Really interesting to follow. He's a great decorator as well. Yeah. But he is one of those people who, as an aspect of the decor that he creates, has really zeroed in on flower arranging and florals as kind of like a side hustle, side hobby and styling. You know, yeah. like he does beautiful vignettes. Yeah. And any beautiful vignette, if you look at a magazine or if you're studying interior design, always involves a floral arrangement of some sort. Yeah. And also unusual things. So, you know, I, I was at somebody's house last week and they had this plant in in the vase all the way down the table. And they were one thing, like you said, very structural was a zigzag. And then this tulip or, or bulb shape thing sticking out of the top in white. And I thought, I've seen that before. And I kept looking at it and looking at it. And then I went into my vegetable garden and they were leeks overgrown leeks oh Oh my god who would have thought so when we get leeks at the supermarket we cut that off but if you if you are lucky and you've got a garden or you can maybe you could just plant some leeks in a pot and you get this fabulous thing and in italy that flower or the bulb thing at the top the bud if you will the bud which is the size of Mm -hmm. two inches or something opens up into a flower and they fry it they put batter on it and apparently it's amazing um we've had a voice note from somebody saying that they have a hobby. And at first I thought, oh, that's a bit dodgy. And they have a hobby (laughs) that's alcohol. And I thought, hmm, but no, it's actually (laughs) cocktails. You have that hobby too. (laughs) Yeah, I do, I do. Yeah, with a straw. I listened to her thing and it's actually about cocktails. And she loves making cocktails so much. Oh, yeah. just drinking them. And that gives, again, the idea of the, the full, you know, hurrah of a hobby of, okay, so you like making cocktails. You can't drink them all. So what do you do? You invite people around and she says you know I have the cocktails for in the summer wherever I'm with friends or if I'm in Florida I have this type of cocktail and sometimes she says at parties we have cocktail lessons and things like that and and invite other people that you don't know because you can they say oh come to my friend's house because so I think that's a lovely thing I mean you could even have like workshops and lessons there's a bookstore in Toronto where I live that's called the monkey's paw And the Monkey's Paw Bookstore specializes in obsolete content in books. And so you get books that are like about housewives and how to cater to their husbands, like which is such an outdated notion now, but they're funny to read. And some of the books that they have are actually old cookbooks and old cocktail books. And you can really probe deep into those little artifacts of the past and find things that might be worth tweaking and reviving now. Tommy, I have, I have my grandmother's who never cooked, her Mrs. Beaton's, it was called, cookbook. It's probably five inches thick. 
And you're absolutely right. It's all about ways to please your husband, um, yeah. <laughs> how to fold napkins into a swan. And of course, you were a terrible yeah. housewife if you couldn't do that. You have to bring him his slippers, by the way. Yes. You have to bring him his slippers when he comes home from the office. And, and also, there's a chapter on food for the disabled. There's a chapter, you know, for people who need help. <laughs> there was a chapter on food for people with no teeth. I mean, this was written oh in like God. 1910. That's amazing. That's like the precursor to the smoothie. Yeah, and, and you know, the food is very, very old. I don't know if Mrs. Beaton was American or British, but it really, really goes back to a culture that is so lost yeah. and, and very funny at times, but also there's a great deal of kindness there and home. And we all want the warmth of home. Yeah, and vintage cookbooks are so much fun to flip through, not just because often the commentary is, you know, like, oh, this is my husband's favorite meal that I make for him when he's had a particular hard day at the office. I mean, all these outdated notions are funny to read now in modern times. But the recipes themselves, every once in a while, you see these old school recipes that are so tried and true, like things like Dover Sole and yeah. Coco Vin, you know, souffles and things that you don't see in restaurants. Oxtail soup. Oxtail soup. Like all these things that you don't see in, in restaurants so much anymore, but are so interesting and kind of like for me from my childhood, like when I was a little kid and we would go out to a fancy restaurant in Palm Beach, you know, on, on March break for the holiday, my grandmother would take us to one very fancy dinner that we would all get to go to. And the things that were on the menu were like duck a l'orange. You know, like boeuf bourguignon, you know, things that you just don't make or see in restaurants anymore. So then when I look at these old cookbooks, it's very nostalgic. And you think to yourself, you know, I mean, as you know, as everybody knows, I'm vegan now. And I try to veganize recipes and find products that I can use to, to make them. Like I make a chicken pot pie, you'd never know the difference. But I look at some of those old school recipes and think, ooh, what can I do with that? Like what's what's a what's a recipe that I could make modern yeah. and do as a plant-based recipe? Yeah, I know what you could do. You could do, I had the same thing. You, you never went to restaurants unless it was an occasion. And it was usually yeah. an elder person in the family, right? Because they were paying for it. Always, yeah, because they could afford it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. My mom couldn't afford it. And, and we used to go to one and they used to do Crepe Suzette. Oh, Crepe Suzette. I've right? had that. So yes. you could have that, you know, with the orange and then they pour Grand Marnier on and they set it alight right back. I'm sure how many people went up in flames when they did that? Well, Bananas Foster was the same thing. Bananas Foster was always lit on fire at the table side. Yeah. And you think to yourself, like, how many restaurants burned down, you know, because somebody was rushing through the dining room with a plate of food <laughs> to take back to the kitchen. They knocked over the flambe. I read about a school that's bringing all that back. So again, that's a hobby going back to, you know, simple, easy food, you know, the original soups that were waiting for you when you, well, mine were out of a tin, but, you know, people who made bread and all those kind of things. I mean, um, you know, there's a hobby for everybody. And it's just, I think just the word hobby is something that grates because you think of, you know, sticking matchsticks together or, you know, yeah. making air sticky aeroplanes or collecting stamps. I mean, where are all those stamp books today? Oh, my God. Because that was every child had to do it, right? And the longer you hold on to them, probably the more the stamps are worth. So it might be worth going into the attic or the basement and digging out those old books yeah. of coins and stamps. But, you know, my, my father had a hobby. What was her name? <laughs> she was a beautiful blonde Swede. Um, no, he was very young and he had a hobby because he was an engineer and you know you know my I told you before my father made sweet machines candy machines yes uh -huh. all the big manufacturers 
just very famous sweets. But he loved drawing. He was meticulous. And he worked with a group of... He was in his... You know, he, was, he died at 39, but he was in his early 30s at the time. And he was with a group of young engineers, all men, of course, and with mm-hmm. pen and ink drawing, their hobby, their dream that was that one day we would be able to cross the English Channel in a tunnel. Oh, wow. By train, by train. That's amazing. Right, so I'm talking really the early 70s. Decades before it happened. Yeah, and he did all these, I mean, you want to hear a crazy story. He did, and you were there. Oh my God, you were there. So he did all these drawings. They were rolled up and they were put in our attic. And year he died. I was 12. Anyway, years and years later, my mother remarried. And then she died. And my stepfather got rid of everything and burnt them. My God. And I found it affected me very badly, very, very badly yes. now. I'm going to take you back. Do you remember at our dear friend Marilyn Dennis, she did a show in her house with a spiritual reader? Yes, yes. Do you remember? And so he was there and he said, he looked at Tommy, he said nothing. Yeah, I got nothing. None of my spirit friends didn't see me. (laughs) He looks at me and he looks at Marilyn, he says the same thing. And I'm thinking, this is a load of bullshit, you know. And then he looks at me. Do you remember? I was like horrified. And he says, um, and it was all on tape. He says, oof, I see two men. Two men, and they're telling you get over it. And I'm saying, Mm. two men get over it. I see maps, pen and ink maps. And one man is called Billy, and the other man is called John. And I nearly passed out. That was amazing. I know you did actually. I have never seen you so caught off guard as long as I've known you, except in that moment. You were absolutely flabbergasted. Yeah. He's the most famous psychic there is, basically. Oh, he's amazing. I think he has his own TV shows and everything. But, um, yeah. oh my God, believed it ever since. And I had it all on tape because sometimes when you see his, a fortune reader, right, you forget everything. Yeah. Oh, they said this, they said this. Well, of course, this was all filmed. But that was that amazing thing. So that was his hobby. His, his hobby was pen and ink drawings of one amazing. day the dream of a, of a... And of course, now we've got it. It opened in, in the mid-90s, a train that would go the 25 miles between France and England. Isn't that amazing? On that gorgeous and, and prescient note, I think we're going to wrap it up. We are. And I'm going to tell you that before I see you next, I will have taken up a new hobby. But I don't know what it is yet. Okay, my friend, the hooker. Um, and can I, is that really for me, that present? Yeah, you can have it. I don't think you'd want it. I think it's lovely. Well, I think what we should do so people know, we should take a photo, a photo of it. <laughs> I'll put it on our Instagram account, which reminds me, please send us your questions or your comments through voice notes on thetrustmepod.com or through Instagram at our Instagram handle, the trust me pod we are really looking forward to chatting to our mutual friend marilyn dennis and talking about you know her life in television her life in radio and what's coming up for her after leaving the show after 30 odd years oh it's gonna be great can't wait bye my love bye debbie I'm Sarah Burke, and I host the Women in Media podcast, where I'm exploring the challenges women face in the media spotlight and celebrating our triumphs. My guests come from radio, TV, news, and sports, and we'll cover topics like leadership, diversity, stereotypes, and more. 
Most of all, I'm looking to build a community through a space where we can discuss anything. The Women in Media podcast, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at womeninmedia.ca. This podcast is distributed by the Women in Media Podcast Network. Find out more at womeninmedia.network.